Welcome to MSP Mindset with Damian Stevens, where we have real, no BS conversations with real MSPs who have real struggles. We dive into all things business, including marketing, culture, work-life balance, and more, all to help you grow your business, think differently, and get out of your comfort zone. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of MSP Mindset. I'm your host, Damian Stevens. And I am really, really excited to talk about a topic that really, really confuses me personally, which is CMMC compliance. I just want to start with that from the get-go. You are not talking to CMMC expert at the moment, but we have Toby Musser today. And a couple things about Toby. One, he's the CEO of MNS Group. And what that means is he's running an MSP just like you are with all the same challenges, uh, upsides, downsides, sideways. And so just understand this isn't just some CMMC expert, somebody actually grappling with the same questions you probably have. This is live. So ask your questions. We've had a ton of questions put in already. Take that opportunity to take advantage. Here's why I think that you'll get a lot of this episode and some of the things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how do you make CMMC easy to understand? What do these rules mean? How do I even start to try to grapple with it? As a small MSP, can I even do this or am I out of this game? And before I get into more, lastly about Toby, he is one of, I think it's less than 50, something like 48 authorized C3PAO from the Cyber AB under the Department of Defense. So I think that's not related to Star Wars, but I'm not entirely sure. So He's one of the few assessors. So this is the kind of person that could be assessing you or your client. Um, and he just loves helping MSPs. So he's going to share some cool stuff. Don't miss it. We're going to talk about everything from low tech mailing things to high tech like custom GPTs. But my hope is you'll have a better understanding of CMMC. Toby, welcome. Thank you hey, for being thank here. you for the introduction. You did a great job. I feel like I should beep a little, you know, and turn and circle. <laughs> The light on my forehead. But. Bonus points if you do that. That's that for sure. <laughs> next time. Um, next time. I wanted to start off with like, how did you get here? And what I mean is, tell us about how long you've been running your MSP. And when did you start to look into anything related to CMMC? Just to help us understand. Sure. So the MSP itself started in 99. And I was one of the engineers. And I bought out uh, the partners in 2006 and have been running it uh, since then. And uh, we always struggled. Uh, we, we went to one of these early seminars by Gary Pika right after he had sold his first MSP. And a couple takeaways were like, you got to find a vertical. You got to focus on that, have specialized expertise. And this will not only help you sell, but help you do a great job. Uh, and we tried a lot of different things. Uh, funeral homes as a vertical didn't work out too well, but it was an interesting thing. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, And yeah. So 2015, 2016, we got involved in some security things, uh, reported some stuff to the government. And, uh, and so those people that we helped out with that started sending us government contractors. And so we had to ramp up our knowledge about how to do that well. And then along came um, DFARS 7012, a requirement for, um, some basic cybersecurity things. And uh, as that rule was put out, we started to help our clients do that. Time passes and we find more and more of those clients. And then the CMMC rule comes around 
a little aside, Damien, like the CMMC rule, there is a there is some confusion. It is a mm-hmm. rule that authorizes assessment or audits. It is actually not a standard about things that you have to do. It's a rule that mm-hmm. authorizes somebody like me to assess or audit would be normal English a government contractor and see if they have evidence, but in the government's language, we say artifacts, that they're doing the things that they have to do under different rules that aren't CMMC, right? (laughs) And so this is where some confusion comes because people get really frustrated. Um, But as we've gone through this process to become an assessor, we've also had the whole team um, really expand their knowledge in how to do all the things in the rules the rule most people are familiar with is NIST 800-171, and there's uh, additional DFARS clauses, uh, 7012, of course, I mentioned. There's 7019, 7020. Each of these different defense acquisition rules makes the contractors have to do a little bit more uh, or, or attest to other, other things. So any questions about NIST 800-171, happy to help. That's the standard that people have to do. And, and our job as a government-focused MSP is to help our clients or to help your clients get assessments. Um, we can't do both, right? We can't help somebody do stuff and then check it out. The fox can't uh, guard the hen house. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, so just to kind of read between lines, right, reiterating, you ended up – so is it exclusively – is that your niche, government – uh, contractors, or you just had a big enough base in your client base where you said, we've got to figure out the CMMC stuff? Yeah, so I would like to claim some brilliance in selecting the government contractor vertical, but it happened to us and we realized it. Um, we do help a lot of uh, financial institutions that require similar levels of security. Um, and in any business that is highly sensitive to both physical security operational security as well as cybersecurity are, are the types of people we help. But in truth, greater than 80% of our clients are, are government contractors, and that's where we focus. Hmm. All right. So you kind of led into one of the questions we had, which is like, what is the CMMC rule? And you threw some alphabets about DFARS that really does CMMC, and I appreciate you clearing up audit makes more sense than assess and evidence makes more sense to most people than artifacts. Um, but can you give us more on, you know, I talked to so many MSP, MSPs that just, you know, a client or two calls and, yeah. you know, frantically says, I need the CMMC stuff. Can you do it? And the, one of the challenges is they're not prepared. And I don't mean that against you're probably listening because you're not prepared. And I am you know, also listening for the same reason. But what I mean is you're, you're not prepared to answer that. And then you go try to ask and it's hard to figure out where to even find these answers without reading through tons of this reams of documentation. So um, is it even, you know, help us understand the rule. And then, you know, if I'm not 80 plus percent focused on government contractors, what do I do as an MSP? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, my experience, and I've heard from you, you have a similar experience is that there's a lot of fear being sold out there and some statements like this is a hundred thousand dollar problem and uh i don't know a number of other things that make it seem like it's a really really difficult lift it's incredibly expensive and it's going to take you two years to do it 
And I suppose there are edge cases where that, that could be true. But what I would say, Damien, is the government has done something pretty remarkable, in my opinion. They've written a very clear guide that gives you concrete examples of how to do it and examples of the questions that I, as an assessor, will ask and then gives you, give you like even suggestions of ways to comply. And this series of documents are called the alpha documents. So whenever you hear somebody mention a NIST document, so ones you may have heard of are 800-171 and 800-172. These are documents tied to CMMC. You may have heard of FedRAMP, right? That's 800-53. For each of these numbers that you hear me spit out, there's an alpha version, uh, the same number with a A after it. And the alpha version gives you examples of each control uh, family. Uh, and I keep this book in my, uh, my CMMC chair next to me. Um, this is, it's not super thick, right? If you spent, so there's 320 things you have to do, right? And they're all in this book. And for each assessment objective, it'll give you a paragraph and explain what I'm going to ask and how you should answer me. And so you could spend, uh, let's say there's 320 things. So spend five minutes and 20 seconds a day, right? 320 seconds. Um, and just read the assessment guide, the level two assessment guide. You don't have to memorize it. You don't even have to really super understand it. It just gives you sort of a framework. And in about a month, you've read the whole thing. And I would even suggest that you have your tech team look at it because it has this fear built around it and it's written in really normal English. It's readily mm -hmm. understandable and it will give you concrete examples. And I think taking away that fear, giving people that knowledge is one of the, like my main uh, messages that this is very doable. It's not super complex. It does take some time, but even a really small shop can do this work and a small MSP can read this and they, they may find that they're already doing most of it. Like CMMC's, audit practice against NIST 800-171, and I'm using audit to use normal English, right? Officially, it's assessment. Right. Like this process takes 150 to 230 hours when we come and do an assessment, right? It's just a lead assessor looking at artifacts or evidence of these 320 things. And if you just know what they are and you read that government document, that's... Uh, you're going to be well on the way and taking the fear away and you will find yourself to be an expert for your clients. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So you may have lost me with read that government document, but everything else, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, I appreciate that we get to interview you and the chair with your, um, with your full uh, printed out guide there. So we've got the, we've got the, the, the expert and the guide, but I think it's, it's awesome because I feel like, you know, that helps me understand. I don't have to have it all committed to memory. I don't have to have some unfair insided advantage view of exactly how this got drafted or what happened or why. So, um, so that's really cool. Uh, one of the questions is, um, can you give me an example of like a simple example of like, cause you said you're probably doing a lot of this, but like we were, we were talking before and you're like, here's a simple example they don't have to necessarily layer on tons of vendors and tons of tech and tons of other things that you could comply with like one of, one of the rules. Sure. So one of the huge uh, bottlenecks 
in this particular framework is the requirement for a FIPS 140-2 or higher validated uh, encryption module to be in use. So this means in English, you can't just use uh, AES-256. You have to use AES-256 in a DLL or a program that's been validated by the government to be implemented well. You know, who cares if you're encrypting um, if your password's stored in plain text in the program's uh, install directory, right? It's that kind of silliness that they're trying to, to stop. So a lot of people look at this and say, wow, I'm going to have to give up all of my programs. Uh, I need to buy these really expensive programs that say this. There are technical solves that are, that are not hugely difficult. For instance, you could, not with QuickBooks, but you could enable FIPS mode on a, a Windows box and encrypt the, then the drive's encrypted and the communication is encrypted. And then whatever's on that box, it's wrapped within a FIPS encryption um, envelope. A lot of people say, oh, you have to buy a new firewall, right? Uh, this firewall doesn't have a valid certificate. Well, if the web access is using a web certificate that is from a known provider and is high enough level, it will be FIPS 142 validated. So by accessing a system through that website, using that certificate, you've encrypted all the data and you don't need a VPN because you're using a FIPS encrypted communication channel. That's, those are a couple technical ideas, but let's get really practical. You got the three-man machine shop and they're really good at putting really tiny holes through metal for sensing gases, right? This is a real example, right? A uh, company I know, they're not a client, but uh, I gave them this suggestion. So the rule allows you to send information a number of ways. One of the approved methods to transmit and communicate information is through U.S. mail first class, right? It seems kind of weird, but you can encrypt, you can buy a USB key, like Iron Key or some of these have uh, FIPS 142 validated encryption on the key. And maybe for that client, they add an extra day's delay to send plans back and forth and have a single computer that's not hooked up to a network at all. And that's your enclave and you write your compliance around that single machine and ship a USB key back and forth between the prime. Now, are a lot of primes going to accept this? I guess that depends on your relationship, right? That is a significant delay over clicking send. But for somebody who maybe is making, you know, taking home $45,000 a year and they have a $100,000 contract to make a widget for the Department of Defense, they can't afford to put in an enclave and a full documentation set. And, uh, you know, so th that might be a way that they'd be able to uh, meet the requirement. We always try to look for really practical, low-cost ways to meet the requirement. We're just securing the data, right? So I can't hear you right now. How about now? There we go. Ah, amazing. Yeah. All right. I thought, was this a test? Just bound to do that at least once in a, an episode. So you can mail a USB key as long as it's the right kind of USB key. In other words, the right kind of FIPS encryption. Um, that's pretty cool. And the right first class mail. Uh, that That's a really, like, does it fit for everybody? No, but, you know, secure enclaves, all these things that don't seem approachable for either small MSP yeah. or small budget. But speaking of MSPs. That has to be first class mail, though. I do have to, yep. you know, that is specified. Okay. So speaking of that, I wanted to bring up what Mike shared here. 80% uh, of MSPs 
or most MSPs don't even have an asset list, much less be able to put in place policies and procedures. So I don't know if Mike is a realist or pessimist. No offense, Mike, but there's certainly a large percentage, no doubt, that are, you know, making the evolution from break fix or just very small operations. So, um, and then uh, just to kind of uh, piggyback on that, um, get your input is uh, Bill saying, imagine how many level one self-cert companies that could care less um, and that would be recognized as the weak link. So I, you know, I think, I don't know what you guys, you know, what you'd like to, what you'd like to say that Toby, I imagine some of this is how do we help even small MSPs help small companies? Obviously there's a, there's a limit at which you're just not doing your war due diligence. You shouldn't participate. You're, you're, you're not, you know, you, you can't solve for incompetence or people that are going to mislead. Um, but how to get into that more specifically, how small can we make this? How, how, what I mean by that is uh, we had some of them then saying, you know, don't have to spend a hundred thousand uh, dollars, that sort of thing. Like how small of an MSP can I be um, and, and do this? Yes. So you can be a one man shop and, uh, and, and just concentrate on an enclave approach. I mean, some of the larger MSPs have really been putting a lot of pressure on people to do the whole enterprise or to move to GCC high. Um, There are a number of vendors that allow you to resell their enclaves. And so if you're a one or two man shop, um, it might be worthwhile to look at, look at one of those vendors or to try to find a large MSP to team with. Um, that's self-serving, but there's more than me, right? There's a bunch of people out there that do enclaves. Check them mm-hmm. out. See who you like to work with. I mean, it's really imp- important to find a good relationship and people that you feel like you connect with. Um, Absolutely. And, and you could offer an enclave and have their support. Um, you're, if I would jump back to – let me take those two comments in the order you, you said. So – First of all, most MSPs don't have an asset list. So I'm thinking they were talking about an asset list for each client, but perhaps they were talking about it internally. I'm not sure which. Um, I mean, we use ScalePad. That might be too expensive for a number of people, but um, you could use a spreadsheet if you use um, Kaseya, ConnectWise, any of the uh, Ninja. All of these systems have the ability to spit out a list. Um, that you can put into a spreadsheet and and then add the things that aren't detected. I don't think that's a huge lift. It is um, maybe tedious. It could be onerous. Um, if somebody needs, they have to, uh, okay, thank you. Uh, you let me know, Mike, that it's internally. Um, yeah, I would just use your RMMs tools to create a list of, of your assets. And as far as whether or not you are going to become certified, the rule hasn't been released. We don't know if MSPs will have to be assessed. And if you're small and you don't want to go through that assessment, you can resell enclaves. And the enclave vendor is going to be the one with the legal relationship. Um, and and that will address a lot of what we call our shared responsibility matrix and, and where liability or responsibility falls. Um, let's see. It, Bill then um, said, hey, what about those level one people? So let's talk about level one, like with a real story. Let's talk about hot dogs. So um, you have a hot dog vendor and they're selling one hot dog a month, maybe two to the base next door. And then they get an order for a thousand hot dogs. Well, if the bad guys know the hot dog vendor suddenly selling a thousand hot dogs, they could infer 
that maybe there's going to be, I don't know, 500 troops. Do they eat two hot dogs each? Three? Who knows? 200, 500 troops that are going to be there in a certain period of time to eat those hot dogs. And so that can become actionable intelligence for our enemies. And so the level one is trying to protect that contract information. Who are the employees that you're paying? What are you ordering and shipping? Where are you sending it to? Because just each of those data points alone, not very useful, but together they can form intelligence that can be used against the country. Uh, level one, you know, if somebody's doing accounting, they have to be, and a guest comes in the office, they need to be escorted when they're around the accounting systems, or you have to have a clean desk policy. Um, and so that might be something where you have to talk to your bookkeeper and say, hey, when you're working on my books, here's our policy. No one else is standing behind you looking at the screen. Um, as to whether or not they have integrity, man, I can't, I can't tell you what to do about that one. Perhaps an encouraging way to help people gain integrity about doing this stuff if they don't have it. I'll give you two concrete examples that they can Google. Uh, example one, um, earlier this year, one of our refueling planes uh, was replaced by a newer model, many, many year project, right? The new model goes up, it's in testing, it's flying, and the tail falls off, a portion of the tail falls off. Because the bolts are shearing, they're breaking, because they mm -hmm. were manufactured the wrong tolerance. Well, mm -hmm. what happened is the enemy came in, they didn't just steal the design. This isn't about intellectual theft and losing property and uh, losing money and seeing our planes fly over Beijing with Chinese letters on the side. Yeah, those are all things. Um, but the tail fell off and people on the plane could have died. They didn't, right? It's about human life. And it's about the fact that our enemies are modifying our manufacturing chain or interrupting it. Um, that would be one example. Another one would be um, ceramic plates and dragon plate armor, like these little round ceramic plates is supposed to stop projectiles and the mix on the ceramics getting changed so that the warfighter or the operator, the soldier is out there fighting and suddenly they lose confidence in the equipment they're using. And maybe they don't charge when they're commanded to, or maybe they operate in a state of greater fear than they need to. And the tasks, the things they're supposed to do, their task orders don't get completed. Um, so, the, the reason I share those two is it ties back to like, we're talking about actual humans whose lives are on the line mm -hmm. and that may die if a given contractor doesn't do their thing. And even in the hot dog vendor example, if the enemy knows that our, a base in Germany suddenly has 500 extra U.S. troops there, I mean, with drones and the technology going around, when that troop movement happens, you've given them actionable intelligence uh, and so it's about human lives. Uh, maybe they don't care about humans. If uh, I'm hoping they do, right? But if they don't have yeah. patriotism, they don't have morals and ethics, they're not going to honor their contract. They're just taking the check and they don't care. Maybe introducing the fact that there's actual humans involved is, is a way to get them to care. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope the comments are more about just how unprepared certain entities run, not how careless they are. But I love that you brought it back to from. To me, complex terminology and, you know, like a lot of things in IT and especially in government, a whole bunch of acronyms to at the end of the day, it's about the individuals and their lives uh, because that's something that really matters, right? Whether or not you keep this client or refer them to somebody else or partner with somebody to deliver the enclave is important to deliver the right solution, but it's not as important as 
you know, we're protecting lives. That's the end, uh, the end goal here. So, um, so when should we expect to hear about this new rule and give more clarity around as an MSP, am I going to be subject to this or is it just my client so that I can start to be prepared and figure out what that looks like, you know, what kind of time and money and investment I may have to have as an MSP. So on Tuesday, Stacey Bostjanic, who's the DOD CIO uh, representative for this entire project, um, said they're expecting to get it out before Christmas. It has finished going through the Office of Management budget approvals. The documents are locked. They can't be edited now. The, the review is finished. And now it's a matter of just releasing them. There are so many people predicting when they will come out. I myself have done this and gotten burned. So what I will tell you is I'm just going to quote Stacy from Tuesday's uh, webinar, and they're, they're looking at before Christmas to release these documents. So what are in these documents? Well, there's the actual rule, uh, 150 pages, give or take. Um, and then there's the documents like this. Like the, This is the level two assessment guide. This is the Bible for a C3PO like myself, but it should also be your reference point too. So you know exactly what I'm going to ask and what I'm looking for, for each of the 320 things. There's going to be an assessment guide uh, for level one so that people can do self-assessments. And they're also going to publish versions of the NIST 800-171 documents. I know this question is coming, so I'll loop it in now if it's okay. And that is, there's more than one version of NIST. What mm -hmm. the heck's going on with that, right? So currently we're on version two. Um, Stacy said they're going to take about two years before implementing version three in the CMMC assessment process. So I'll give you maybe some thoughts about that. One, version three is better from cybersecurity standpoint, right? It has more stuff. It's 445 things to do instead of 320. Now, it's a little misleading, right? Because, you know, people say, oh, there's 110 things in areas and, and version three drops to 95, but the actual things you do go up, right? So mm -hmm. 445 things that an assessor like I will have to come in and look at or ask questions or observe that's about two years out. So people, again, if you're doing great cybersecurity, you should do it now. But if you're struggling, just stick with version two, because that's what's going to be in effect um, for the next 24 months, according to Stacy. And let, I keep mentioning Stacy in the DoD. Anything I say, anything any C-3PO says, an RPO, anybody who says they're an expert in CMMC and believe them, always double check the DOD CIO's website. They have a CMMC website and that's the source of truth. If I say something and it doesn't agree with that, obviously don't listen to me. Um, I don't know if a lot of people are checking that website, right? But that mm -hmm. is really the single source of truth on this matter. And there's so many consultants and people out there being greedy and just trying to sell the fear and grab business or people themselves who don't have time to bone up on all, as you mentioned, lots of paperwork. They have summary documents. They have a lot of information there. Um, that is the source of truth. And uh, as I said, even if you hear me say it, we've gone through all, we've been through DIPCAC. We go through the assessments. We're in weekly meetings um, with the Cyber AB, who's meeting with the DOD, getting updates. You know, you, you got to go back to the source. The DOD is the single source of truth on this. Right. 
So we had a comment sent in that said, I'm an MSP implementer, RP and RPO. Is there an opportunity to have a division in our company that is dedicated to be a CCA for C3PAOs? Now, I have no idea what I just asked you. Yeah, but so when it the sounds like they jibbit, might. You know, it's <laughs> the flippery jit goes in the hooji what, and then you have to do the thingamabobber and the whatchamacallit then makes everything go. Good. And, that's what I thought it said. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> all right. So there's a, actually, there's a couple of points here. So one, any MSP can be a C3PAO okay. and keep serving their clients. They just wouldn't be able to assess their own clients. They would have to oh. team with some other C3PO for the clients they keep. And we already have agreements like this in place because we're an MSP and a C3PO. There's other C3POs we've signed with so that we hand out to our clients two or three names so they can go and get quotes, right? A, an interesting thing in this rule is the code of ethics is in the rule, right? So what that means is in the past, if the code of ethics was referenced externally and a C-3PO did something they shouldn't do, it's basically a slap on the wrist. When the rule has the code of ethics embedded, it's a federal crime and you go to jail for 20 years. So the DOD is very intent on making sure that people operate in an ethical way. And part of that is that anything that we do we want to make sure not only are we obeying the rule, but we're passing, we're above that. That We want to pass that faint whiff test, not just the smell test. Um, nice. Wow. I went so far afield. You've got to ask me the question again. No, it was the, is there an opportunity? So they're an implementer, they're an RPO, an, an RP and an RPO. Is there an opportunity yeah. to have a division for a CCA, which I don't admit to knowing what that means, or a C3PAO dedicated yeah. to that? So. Yeah, so a CCA is somebody who's actually going to do assessment work, right? And the CCP is, uh, think of it as an assistant, somebody trained up through level one, should probably be familiar with level two. So I think every MSP who has clients should have at least one person trained as a CCP. And it'd be amazing if they're trained as a CCA. If you do that and you need your experience for your CCA, you can call me or I could introduce you to other C3POs to get them onto assessments so they get their three required experiences before they're fully authorized. There's less than 200 CCAs in the world right now. We need more of them. Uh, and yes, you could have a CCA and then you could bill them out to me and I could use them uh, on a project as a 1099. Uh, and more importantly, then you have the internal knowledge as you're serving your clients and that could be billed out at a higher rate, right? Your CCA could do consulting and help uh, review policies, artifacts, and evidence so that your clients would be uh, better prepared to pass an assessment. It is in the code of ethics that we can't offer guarantees. So if you see any company guaranteeing you'll pass, uh, either they're violating the code of ethics or they're not actually in the CMMC ecosystem. Mm. Uh, on that note, before we miss it, Mike's question is, what was your experience on becoming C3PAO? Is it like passing an assessment plus getting an additional QA person or much more than that? So this is our approach. Um, although we are a Microsoft partner, we're a Microsoft shop, we're a CSP, we sell Microsoft stuff. We actually purchased an enclave from Google FedRAMP High from another C3PO, Sisive. And full disclosure, we're partners with Sisive and we resell their Google enclaves along with our Microsoft ones. But we bought the Google FedRAMP High enclave 
Um, and that enclave is used with 20% of the C3PAs. It came with documentation and we had to learn that documentation and customize it to make it align with our existing policies, procedures, and practices. So we bought the Enclave, uh, we went through configuration and training. That took about a month and a half. Um, reviewing all the documents, another month and a half, so we were up to about three months. And then we had to submit that we were ready for a DIBCAC assessment. And then you're kind of in, in a, in, you know, you're waiting. It's when's the government ready to, to meet with you? Uh, so the whole process from when we purchased the Enclave to when we deployed it and then finally passed the assessment, um, a little under six months was the process to go through it. You could do it faster if you could dedicate full-time staff to it. But, you know, we have to eat. We're, we're doing all our projects and all our normal MSB stuff uh, also. Uh, right. And that Enclave uses Chromebooks. And the beautiful thing about Chromebooks is you close the lid and they're erased. So if you check the right settings. So you don't have to worry about losing them or, or anything like that. They provision. So that that was our process. And DIBCAC did come in and assess us. Um, we paid the extra fee to CISIV to have one of their people on the call with us in case there were questions our team didn't know. I highly recommend it. There were about three different times where even though we knew all the rules, that there's different um, assessors or auditors at DIBCAC. That's the government's assessment arm for the Department of Defense. And, uh, and they came up with some questions that we hadn't thought of. And so having, having Sysif on the phone uh, was helpful. And they answered some questions that were in our documentation that, that we didn't readily know. The government wants to know that you have muscle memory. They are absolutely not interested in somebody who can check the box or just submit a bunch of documents. They want to know that when they say, hey, pull up your log file, show us your change log, Where's the approval process when you had your change control committee approve this change to your system settings? Um, and in one instance, um, we had something we had to change and, and we were trending not met. This is language you'll hear from the government and from us. Trending met, trending not met, met or not met. Those are your four choices, right? Uh, and we were trending not met on something. So that evening we had a change control meeting we decided on the change. We implemented it. We sent over the new documentation that we had fixed uh, the issue. And so we went from trending not met to met. And we started our assessment on Monday morning. We were finished by about 3 p.m. on Tuesday. Because the Google system is so um, self-contained and it's at FedRAMP high, we also applied something called the STIGs. So these are higher security standards um, from NSA and, and, and the government. Uh, but that all comes as part of the package. So that was our experience. And if you wanted to do this, um, I would highly recommend Sysis Solution because it's really, it's a great way for an MSP to get that support and, and add this practice. There's about 200 people in line right now, though, for the C3PAF. So if you're going to do it, you should start now and it, it may take a while to get through the, through the line. Yeah, that's awesome. So less than 50, I think you said something at 48, unless there's a new one today, about a 200 in line. Mike said, awesome. Thanks for that insight. So that is really, really cool to hear. Thank you for that, Toby. I'm glad to hear that feedback. Thank you for the feedback, Mike. Uh, Want to switch gears for a second. Kernan is saying, will an MSP need to be certified at the same level as their DIB client? All right. So Kernan's setting me up. He's in charge of our business development. <laughs> um, thanks, Kernan. Appreciate that. Uh, 
One, we don't know. The rule hasn't been released. Okay. So that being said, two. It's not a good setup right there. It's, well, <laughs> wait. It seems very likely that MSPs will have to go through some sort of assessment mm-hmm. because, because the government has this concept called flow down. So earlier I was talking about FAR and DFAR. So those are the federal acquisition regulations. And then under those, the Department of Defense added more strict rules. These are DFARs, Department of Defense, Federal Acquisition Regulations or, and Rules. Um, in there, there's this concept of flow down. And flow down means if you sign a contract with the government and you promise to do X, Y, and Z, and then you decide that um, – for item Y, you're going to hire a subcontractor to do that work. Your contract to that subcontractor has to include all the same clauses and requirements that the government asked of you. So it has to flow down to them. And then if they use any subcontractors, then they have to include all the same requirements. And so this flow down rule from, say, if you had a really huge, say, billion-dollar prime, they may have like 10 people in that line where somebody subs and subs and subs and subs. So, uh, yeah, uh, Kern just put Sisev in there too, but I think he misspelled it, dude. You got to try again. Um, anyway, so these flow down rules are going to apply to you. And what you'll need to do is there's a shared responsibility matrix. So this is just a simple, it can be a simple spreadsheet that says out of the 320 things, as your MSP, I'm going to do these 50. Uh, these other 20, I can't do them all for you, but I'm involved. So it's shared between both of us. And all of the rest, hey, Mr. Contractor, that's on you. Your HR policy is your HR policy. I can't speak to that, right? Uh, and so th- creating a shared responsibility matrix is really, really uh, critical. And that is sort of also your liability line, right? So when you're purchasing insurance or you have questionnaires about your own insurance as an MSP, you'll want that shared responsibility matrix. And then every contract you sign in your MSAs for government contractors, and heck, it's not a bad idea for any for all of your clients to have a clear delineation of what you're responsible for, what's shared, and what they're responsible for. And that's, that's how you'll break it up. What this that. means, though, is... Think about ConnectWise, right? Or Kaseya. Um, I'm just picking on them because they're the two big boys, right? And they keep buying everybody. Um, just to give you insight, right? So we use ConnectWise and Kaseya, but we run them on-prem in a gov cloud wrapped with FIPS encryption with Palo Alto routers and access control around them because they themselves are not compliant. So we mm. couldn't use their cloud product. We had to bring it in-house. I'm... I do believe that these big vendors and even people like Ninja, I think they're all going to become compliant because they're just waiting for the rule. They don't want to waste motion, money, and effort trying to hit a mark that they can't see. So I think when the rule comes out, you'll find that a lot of these vendors will do what's necessary for you to keep using them. But you will need to look at your vendors and make sure that they comply with the rules. Here's a concrete example so you know what I'm talking about. You can't have somebody with ITAR compliance requirements think things that go boom, right? You can't have that stuff um, be accessed by a support person in India. 
So you can't use ConnectWise and Perch, or they've renamed it, you know what I'm saying, and have a, a support person in India log in or see data that might be sensitive export controlled information. Uh, and so you have to use a product that's going to tell you they'll use only US-based support. So both Microsoft and Google have solutions for this. Uh, Google's is going to be released in the spring for an extra 20 bucks a license. Microsoft says use GCC high. So those are kind of your two options from big solutions. There are many smaller companies that are working on solutions and enclaves. Um, I think the market is going to have answers. They're just waiting for enough money to make it worth it. Uh, right. But I look at your software products, right? You think about your stack. Um, who's doing your XDR or MDR? You know, are they using US-based support? If somebody's not using things that go boom, if they're not working on ITAR export controls, they don't need to be in CCC high. Mm. Interesting. You know, it's one of the messages that's, that's intensely frustrating. Myth. Yeah, it's a common myth. It's intensely frustrating. You can be in GCC. And uh, unless you're doing export controlled stuff or ITAR, you only need to be in GCC. Interesting. I want to pick up on that point, but, but first, second, thank you for that. Um, I wanted to highlight that you said, so Mike asked, you know, how do we spell the vendor's name? We had some assist from Kernan. So I think we've got the name there, right? Uh, yeah. And then uh, just, so if you're listening, it's C-I-S-E-V-E. And then uh, the same dot com is the website. So if you wanted to yeah. check them out, short, that's who you short, use. Short for decisive. Short for decisive, but no D-E. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that I could even, even I could remember there. That's awesome. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you for asking, uh, Mike, and thank you for helping answer, answer Kernan and Carlo. Um, so I get a lot of these questions. We got it for this. One of the comments we just get, and I hear this all the time as, a, as, a, as somebody that's in backup. What do you recommend that we use as a FedRAMP approved method of backup? And I get all kinds of versions being a backup provider. Are you FedRAMP certified? Are you authorized? Are you... CMMC, are you DFARS, are you ITAR, um, you know, fill it, there's others, I'm leaving some out, but you know what I mean? And so my, their, their specific question we can focus on is what do you need to do to be FedRAMP approved? Is that, do you need to go build your own stack like you said and go roll your own in GovCloud? Are there solutions that are out there yet? What I gathered from your other comment is that they're coming based because the move, the, the rule is not final yet, but just let's yeah. start with that one. FedRAMP approved backup. Is that a, is that a thing? Yeah. So first let's talk about FedRAMP. There's two, there's FedRAMP moderate and FedRAMP high. Mm. Okay. So what we're talking about is a requirement for FedRAMP moderate. So there's two ways that you can um, address this FedRAMP moderate equivalency. Um, is something that you could do. It's really, really expensive. So you'd have to find a 3PAO, not a C3PAO, a 3PAO that's a FedRAMP assessor who's willing to come look at all your documentation, your policies, procedures, and practices, and then give you a letter saying you're doing all the things. So an example of this is there's a company, Prevail, that sells an email product, and they claim FedRAMP moderate um, and my current understanding is that that is usable. There's been lots of drama around whether they're usable. My current understanding is yes, 
it is usable. And they paid somebody. They won't tell anybody who, as far as I know, as of today, they won't tell which 3PO did that for them. And that's being accepted. Option two, you take your entire software stack or backup solution and you put it into a FedRAMP uh, moderate um, site and you adopt or you or use their SSP. So um, an example, in full disclosure, he's a friend of mine. Michael Carducci has FedHive. They're actually FedRAMP high. You can go and host in his environment. He'll go through a process and add you in. And it's very expensive, but you could, in a very short period of time, uh, have a backup product that meets the FedRAMP requirements. So if you had your own uh, custom-made thing, or Damien, if you wanted to take all of your stuff, you could put it into a company like FedHive. And there's more than one, right? They're not the only answer. There's a number of hosting companies that will let you move your stack into their environment, but you have to use their security policies, procedures, and practices. And it, it is very expensive. So for people who would then use that product, you would expect to pay a significantly higher rate for the same data. Mm, thank you for that. I get so many different questions like that. I want to pause for a second just to, to say that this episode is sponsored by Servocity. And there's, in my opinion, only two things that make us different. One is we manage the backups for you. So you can focus on what differentiates you, whether it be CMMC, whether it be something else. And we test for you. Specifically, we test daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly, and we provide evidence of that. We didn't build that because of compliance. Just since I'm talking about the compliance, we built that because it was the right thing to know, to know that we had restorable backups tested at multiple levels and screenshots, by the way, are not enough. So that's what we built. And, and I am learning as I go. So I can't say that we are meeting all these things. We're waiting on the rules to come out. We're going to make moves to support you in that. But we're just like a lot of the vendors you mentioned are um, are trying to make sure that we're lining up with the actual rules. So if you are interested in just what we're doing from a backup perspective, not related to CMMC, or just would like to have a call, visit servocity.com slash call. Most importantly, I'll give you my entire process that you can use with any backup vendor and run more operationally efficient and test better. Even if you take one thing away from that, that's a win because I don't want you to be in front of your client not able to restore due to lack of testing. So thank you for that, Toby. Um, how do we tile this in? From my perspective, I, I get clients that are like, I don't know, somebody's FedRAMP. The client told me. They're ITAR. They're NIST, 800-1 of those. They need CMMC. My point is, you know, the numbers seem to align to certain of these, and then there's a certain level. Is that right? So can you, can you help us break down some of this? Because it seems like, you know, to the to the, the folks like me that are trying to keep up with this and trying to even understand uh, which of these maps to what um, and where, you know, like you mentioned, there's FedRAMP, moderate and high. So uh, we, we need to be aware uh, of that uh, and be a good steward of those things. But how do these other things m map and where does, is FedRAMP a specific number and is ITAR a different number or is a super set or subset of one of those? Yes. Yeah, so FedRAMP, you can go to the FedRAMP website. That's a .gov website. And you can look somebody up and see if they're actually FedRAMP. And I highly recommend it. Uh, unfortunately, we pretty regularly run into people who say they're FedRAMP and they're not listed. This is oh, usually man. not some sort of innate dishonesty. It's more uh, not understanding how it works. 
just because you use a service that has FedRAMP doesn't mean that you are FedRAMP compliant. You remember earlier I, I mentioned there's several vendors where you have to move into their security plan. If you just move into a vendor and they say, hey, we're FedRAMP, and they're not on that site, they're just hosting somewhere that's gone through the FedRAMP process, um, and it's not you can't just download somebody else's FedRAMP certificate. I think a most common something, uh, SOC 2, right? A lot of people will say, oh, here's a SOC 2 report from Amazon or from Microsoft. Well, that, that makes no comment on whether you as a business are at SOC 2, right? Mm-hmm. And it's people, I think, have this misunderstanding. A lot of vendors do, a lot of MSPs. You can't just download somebody else's certificate. If it doesn't have your name on it, it doesn't apply to you. Um, so FedRAMP's one thing. ITAR is... Uh, it's an international um, trade and, and regulations around weapons, right? There is no place you go to see if somebody is ITAR, right? Mm. That's not a thing. Uh, they would have a letter from the government saying that they are ITAR, but they shouldn't be sharing that with you unless you have an NDA and you're working for them. Uh, so in that regard, there's no place to look. Uh, As it relates to anything CMMC, the CyberAB's website is where you go in the marketplace to see if somebody's actually an RP, an RPA, uh, a CCP, or a CCA. These are all different designations for levels of training. And then you can see if there's an RPO. So RPO does mean pay to play. So as full disclosure, if you pay the fee, you become an RPO. And it means that you're committing to the ethics of the ecosystem uh, and that you'll have people trained as RPs or RPAs. It does not necessarily speak to you going through any type of assessment. When you are a C3PA on the other side, the assessor or audit side, that means that the government's actually come in and looked at your policies, practices, and procedures to make sure they're real. I keep saying it that way, Damien. I want to make a point. CMFC, okay. like we look at your door locks. We look at your, do you have your cameras? Where are your logs? What are your security practices? We're looking at your HR policies, your sign-in policies. Um, It is not just a bunch of uh, cybersecurity or technical controls. That's insufficient. It is Mm -hmm. holistic, and it's about securing um, the sensitive information, right? Controlled, unclassified information. We call it CUI. We need another acronym, CUI, right? Yeah, well, Um, yeah. I can make some more up. I'm pretty good at this stuff. <laughs> no, not a year. Just from a government and between government and IT, right? So we dropped FedRAMP.gov in there. We've also dropped the a uh, little bit harder to say CMMC uh, website there. If that looks correct to you, Toby. Um, yep, that's the DoD CIO, and that is um, the main source of truth. The other thing for all of you out there who want to be giving great information to your clients and not not have to like stroll through LinkedIn land, um, there's something called the Federal Register. And every morning at 8.45 a.m., they publish a list of all the documents that will be released the following day. So you could know when the CMMC rule is coming out a day ahead of time and let your clients know and you look great. And it tells them you're paying attention. So you could go to the Federal Register and look at the documents listed at 845 and see if CMMC is going to be released tomorrow. Um, 
kind of funny side story. It's so popular right now. The site's been crashing every morning. You might have to wait in line. You'll get a message that you're in a queue to see the, the results on the website. But, so you, in uh, theory, you, know, you could go to the website. In practice, in theory, it's run right, by yeah, the government. By 9.15, I'm sure you'll be able to get in, right? Uh, just <laughs> click, click refresh. But even on the 20th of this month, <clears throat> they're having a meeting about uh, def- or NIST 800-172. So 172 is what applies to level three. CMMC has three levels, one, two, three. Each one has more things that you do to protect information. The government says a really, really small percentage is going to need to do that. So here's the current numbers that we've been given. 300,000-ish defense contractors. Uh, because of the, the flowdown in the subs, they don't know the exact number, right? So out of that 300,000-ish, there's about 78,000 that will need level two. Out of the 78,000 that will also need level three, it's less than 5,000, might be 2,000. It's a very small percentage that they're estimating for level three right now. This is the workflow. Somebody first does their level one self-assessment. They submit their score to the government. That's your supplier risk management score. Uh, in the government, we call that your SPURS score, S-P-R-S. There's your acronym. Um, and then they get a level two assessment where we come in. We look at everything, right? We're not going to take their word for their level one. And then once they get a certificate from us, if they need level three, then they have an additional assessment. Without the rule, I can't tell you exactly how it work, but we suspect it will be with us and the government. It may just be the government. Um, so you, mm-hmm. you'll end up going, spending a lot of time to get to a level three. Yeah, no doubt. Well, this this is awesome. I want to make sure before we run out of your generous time, Toby, you sound like you've created something interesting with compliance, which I'm not sure I've ever said that before with uh, with uh, <laughs> chat GPT there. So tell me about that. Yeah. So and we'll keep updating this. Um, Damien will share the link to those who want it. We created a public link to a customized, uh, tuned GPT that has all the compliance documents in it. So you can ask it questions when the rules are released. We'll load the rule in the back end. Um, so it has access to all of the latest rule uh, information. And so you can just go ask it natural language questions about um, control areas. Uh, you can ask it what's changed between versions. And uh, it does require that you pay the uh, the duty, the $20 a month to... Uh, For the premium. ChatGPT premium, AI, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got to have ChatGPT premium. And just just to tease this a little bit, guys... You know, this is some of the stuff that you mentioned you may share and apologize. I got the wrong name on there, but but uh, Toby share. And so if you don't want to get into this, leaning all of this, you still need to look into. But my point is you've loaded this information in as a custom GPT. So everybody in order to use a GPT, what you were saying, right, is you must have open eye, open AI's premium. A lot of you already do. A lot of you already reading it. Um, and then you've saved us the trouble by making this GPT by loading all the the different documentation into it, and then uh, you're saying you expect to update that regularly. Yes, yeah, so it allows. So when you create these custom GPTs, you can put documents in to add to their knowledge, and we've just preloaded the documents for you. Uh, and we, it's just we're trying to be useful to people. Listen, normal disclaimers, right? This is a GPT; it's not a hundred percent. But it can get you in the right direction, tell you what page to go look at. Um, the one thing, 
320 seconds a day reading through the assessment guide. Um, this is the guide for me as an assessor. If you read it, you'll know what we're going to ask. You can be a hero to your clients by just cutting and pasting examples from here and sending it to them if they ask you. Um, the last thing I'll mention is we believe in best of breed stuff in our own MSP. We buy somebody else's documentation pack for our documentation. We use Curie Solutions Windows documentation pack. We know what we're good at. And, and I think if you're a small MSP, look at some of the other vendors that you can create a package with so you're not doing the heavy lift yourself. Um, develop relationships. and um, What is that called? The one you said you? Curie uh, Solutions. That's Amira Armand. She's another C3PAR. C3PAO. Um, we all work together by and large. Not all, you know, I'd say two thirds of the C3PAOs. It's such a small community and we're all trying to help everybody um, pass. Um, I def definitely think uh, it's worth looking at getting a leg up and having your clients use documentation. GRC tools, we didn't even talk about them. There's a legion of them out there. Um, I, in no particular order. What, uh, what are GRC tools? Just to GRC tools. Yes. What are GRC tools? Let's start with governance, that. risk, and compliance. It's a, a place to keep all your information in your documents and uh, <laughs> gotcha. get a report. Right. So future feed, IntelliGRC, um, uh, Aptega. Like the, there's a huge list of them. Like I said, it's legion. It's just a place to keep track of everything. Um, and uh, and we do believe that you need some sort of GRC uh, to keep track of all this. Well, I, I know that time is, uh, you know, of that since others are moving on. I do want to let you know, we're listening live or the recording. A couple of things. Uh, Mike says, wow, cool. Compliance. <laughs> what an oxymoron. <laughs> right? So, right. I, that's the way I felt. Um, uh, Mike wants to know, will, will we get an email? We'll, we'll pull the show notes and all the links together. And so make sure... If you're just commenting, make sure you register. There's a link. Um, and Carla, if you don't mind dropping that in on LinkedIn or, or um, on YouTube, but there's a link to register. So if we register, then we have your email address and we'll get you all the cool links that have been talked about here. Um, but uh, make sure you register because we, we may not know who you are otherwise. Um, thank, thanks. Uh, Jim says thanks to both of us. To Thank you to Toby. This is extremely invaluable or valuable information. Um, yes, we'll make the links and the recording available. And then uh, I know as people are moving on, just like you said, I wanted to share the link. Um, we will put the links in a follow-up email. We'll put those in the chat as well. So this is probably hard to look at and type. But uh, this is the custom GPT that, as he said, um, is um, it is available um, and there is no yep. warranty. It's probably the nicest There's way I know no to say warranty. it. We will it's certainly not a warranty for, for me. And I don't think there's a warranty from Toby or his company, but because GPTs hallucinate and, uh, but he is loading up the latest documentation with it. So that is really cool. Um, and so um, speaking of timing, I want to be a good steward of your time. Uh, so Toby, how can folks get connected to you, ask you a question, find out about you, join the fan club? Yeah. So connect to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to take the connection. And uh, my assistant also monitors that if you send me a message, it'll get to me or get to the team. If you want to talk with an assessor or somebody um, who does this stuff all the time, no charge. We want to, we need more MSPs doing this work and doing it well. We're happy to help you out. We're an open source MSP. We'll share how we do it. I love that. That is probably one of the best gifts uh, you could ever get. So thank you for the gift 
of your time today, Toby. Um, thank you for the opportunity to help uh, me and other MSPs. Uh, Go.servasi.com slash Toby dash muster. If you're not registered, that's how you'll get all these links that we have compiled um, from the conversation today. Um, and LinkedIn.com uh, slash in slash Tobias Musser, if you would like to connect directly to the man, the myth, the legend. So uh, thank you for this, Toby, my friend. This has been amazing. Um, so uh, I, I really appreciate this gift of your time, your knowledge, uh, and just the ability to have the humility to show up and share things uh, that you know a lot about and if some things that we're all about to find out. So thank you for this. My pleasure. Anytime. Well, guys, this is MSP Mindset. We are live every other week. And if you missed any of this or you want to make sure you get the email, go to mspmindset.com. And we are MSP Mindset wherever you social. Thank you for your time and attention. Listening live, listening on our podcast. I'll see you in two weeks.